0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, for this episode of Gear 30, this is another one of our Reviewer Reports episodes, and today I have joining me Luke Kappa, Kara Williard, and Eric Friesen. And in this conversation, we kick things off by having Kara give us a bit of a masterclass on the importance of custom insoles. This is picking up from our conversation last week on Gear 30. And then we are talking about some Lang ski boots and Solomon ski boots and Wonder Alpine's Reason 120 and a new ski that is making Luke Kappa wildly happy and more. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Backcountry Essentials in Bellingham, Washington. Backcountry Essentials is one of the premier ski boot fitting shops in the Pacific Northwest. They have highly skilled ski technicians, and they are the only shop between Seattle and Whistler where you can get quiver killers installed in your skis. Backcountry Essentials also carries a curated selection of some of the top winner gear, including products from Dalbello, Roxa, Atomic, K2, Flylo, Marker, Blizzard, and Technica. So you should absolutely stop in the next time you are in downtown Bellingham, but you can also shop their inventory online. Just go to backcountryessentials.net and they ship anywhere in the United States. And if you'd like to hear even more about the background of Backcountry Essentials, I recorded a Gear 30 conversation with Backcountry Essentials founder, Chris Gersten. That is episode number 128 of Gear 30. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes of this episode. So check out episode number 128 if you want to hear more about this shop or go visit them online at backcountryessentials.net. This episode is also presented by Mountain Flow Echo Wax, and a number of blister reviewers have been using various products from Mountain Flow. These are biodegradable plant-based products that are far better for the environment and have reduced environmental impacts than their conventional counterparts. So whether that is their bike lube or their ski wax or their climbing skin wax, this is a company that you need to know about and we would strongly encourage you to go to mountainflow.com to learn more about what they are up to. And given that a number of us at Blister have now been using a number of different Mountain Flow products for quite a while, we're ready to start weighing in with our collective experiences on a number of the products. So those write-ups will be showing up on the Blister website soon. And one more thing, for those of you who will be coming to our Blister Summit, which kicks off February 20th, well, Mountain Flow products will be readily available there. And so you will be able to check out a number of Mountain Flow products and use them Yourself. And just to say a bit more about the Blister Summit, this is crazy. We are now able to officially announce that Vocal, Dollbello, and Marker are also going to be at the Blister Summit with a number of new products for you to try. Bottom line is, we just have an incredibly stacked lineup here. And I've said this before in the conversation that I had with Kristen Sinnott that was dedicated to the Blister Summit. But this collection of brands has never been assembled before. Never before have you been able to demo product and test product from Vocal and Rosignal and Forefront and Star and Moment and Line Skis and K2 and Solomon and Wonder Alpine and Folsom Custom Skis and Wagner Custom Skis and Mammut will be there and BCA will be there. Icelandic will be there. Fisher, La Sportiva, Kessley and Scott Skis and Glade Optics and I mean, this is a, really impressive and stacked lineup. And not only will you be able to check out and get on a bunch of this gear, you're also going to be able to meet a number of key players at these brands, some of the founders or product managers or product designers, and you'll also be able to go ski with professional athletes like Chris Davenport and McKenna Peterson and Julian Carr and more And you'll also get to ski with and hang out with a number of blister reviewers. And as I said before, including Paul Forward, who is coming out from Girdwood, Alaska to be at the summit. So people, we want to have you here. We're incredibly happy with how this summit is shaping up. You are going to want to be a part of, well, the skiing and the conversations that are going to be taking place at these panel sessions and that take place well into the night. So we will include a link in the show notes of this episode, as we often do, just says Blister Summit, or you can go to our Blister Review website, go to the navigation bar where it says Blister Summit, and sign up, either for Summit A or for Summit B, and we can't wait to see you in Mount Crested Butte. All right, and with that, let's now talk about a bunch of other new gear with Luke Kappa, Eric Friesen, and Kara Williard. Here we go. All right, well, I am here with Luke Kappa, Kara Williard, and Eric Friesen. And it is time, fellow reviewers, to offer some reports. So, we want to start with a bit of a follow-up conversation about our last Gear 30 episode, which we did with Sebastian Steinbach. And at the very end of this episode on boot fitting, Sebastian and I just touched on the topic of custom footbeds or custom insoles. And then I went skiing with Kara and we started, I don't know, talking basically for about two hours more about custom insoles. And we thought that maybe we should start by just having Kara flesh out this topic a bit because a number of you had you know, good questions and the rest. And in fact, maybe today, Eric Friesen and Luke Kappa might learn something about custom insoles too. So Kara, I'd like to kind of give you the floor. And again, as a kind of taking off from where Sebastian and I left that conversation, but maybe you can help further flesh out that topic there and why, well, you and I both think custom insoles aren't just for people skiing 100 days a year or something, why there really are benefits for like everyone.
1: Definitely. Well, thanks, Jonathan. And I do think last week's gear 30 episode provided a lot of awesome information. Um, Some of the details about what to look for in a good boot fit. Um, Sebastian and Jonathan definitely kind of showed you like what the indicators of a good boot fit are. And then maybe some red flags such that that boot fitters not asking you tons of questions or touching your foot, and those are definitely not good signs. But typically when you show up at a boot fitting shop, that boot fitter will pull out a measuring device, and they're gonna be taking as many as five measurements of your foot. Um, They'll typically start you in a semi-weighted or a seated position. And from there, they'll have you stand up, and they're just watching to see how much your foot changes from that weighted position versus that original semi-weighted position. Um, Most feet will both widen and lengthen as much as a full Mondo size and if you have a really flexible foot It's going to be even more than that Um, And this difference is exactly what a custom insole is going to account for inside of that ski boot Um, At this time they'll probably look at a couple of other things about your foot that would translate into like decisions around that custom insole That would be best for you. The main one would be your arch flexibility And I will say, you know, not absolutely everyone needs a custom insole, but most people do. And most people can't get away without one. I'm definitely an example of that. It's a total make or break for me. And there isn't hardly anyone out there that isn't going to benefit from a custom insole, whether it's performance benefits or comfort benefits or for a lot of people, both. Um, So I just want to touch on several of those benefits right now. Um, A good custom insole retains your foot in its shortest and narrowest configuration. So it's also going to be holding your foot in a neutral posture. And what this means is an insole prevents any excess movement inside that rigid ski boot. And this is especially important because you are in this Rigid environment, any excess movement is going to be directly translated to pressure points and hot spots and more motion inside that boot than you want. It also prevents any movement associated with rolling over the ankle joint. So, this for a lot of people means pronating, uh, especially as you go to drive pressure to that inner edge. You're kind of collapsing to the inside of the boot, and that's why you often feel pressure on those inner ankle bones. Um, And things like that some people supinate but a lot more people are pronating inside that ski boot Um, And then as you consider what Sebastian and Jonathan said about trying to achieve that really uniformly snug fit inside of a ski boot Or what I like to call a suspiciously snug fit inside of this ski boot without a custom insole There's going to be a large void within that boot that is otherwise very snug everywhere and that void exists underneath that medial arch or your inside arch (laughs) So just to translate energy to that ski is going to require collapsing into that void to drive the energy to the ski and to get onto that inside edge. Um, So you can be snug everywhere, but if you have a void inside of that boot under the arch, you are now talking about missing out on some of those performance benefits that a custom insole provides as well and then a custom insole helps to evenly distribute weight and pressure beneath the foot so for someone with a high arch this can help take a ton of pressure off of the ball of the foot or a lot of people have a lot of pressure to the outside of their foot when there's nothing underneath that arch Um, but with an insole you're now helping evenly distribute weight across the entirety of the foot and again this is going to help evenly pressure um, kind of inside and outside edges of your ski. Keeping in mind that as you're at a boot fitting shop, you could try on every single boot on the wall and you might have the same exact problems in all of them if any of those problems are attributed to an unstable foot. So um, an insole is going to easily alleviate a lot of these pressure points um, just by keeping your foot more stable inside what is a very rigid ski boot. Even thinking about like bunions on your forefoot, you will receive less pressure all the way through the forefoot from an insole because it's preventing your foot from elongating and widening constantly within the boot um, so the insole is the foundation of a fit it can help prevent a whole slew of like band-aid solutions instead of actually addressing the problem you might be making irreversible changes to your liner and your shell and all it may have required was stabilizing the foot to begin with um, not to say you might not end up making some of those same adjustments, you know, doing little stretches here and there, but maybe it's going to be a whole lot less of a stretch than it would have been um, without a supported foot. And then a couple other factors I just want to throw out there. A lot of people think a custom insole is going to take up more volume inside of the ski boot, and it won't because it's going to be perfectly interfaced to that liner, and it will be built using the stock insole of your ski, uh, of the ski boot you have. But from there, any extra volume is simply where those voids would have been to begin with. So again, an insole is just working to fill the voids that exist inside that ski boot. Um, And then when you get that insole built, it should feel like very natural support and kind of equal pressure beneath your entire foot. So this is where arch flexibility plays a huge part. A good boot fitter is going to look at how flexible or rigid that arch is. A more flexible foot is going to love a ton of support, whereas a more rigid foot might want something a little more cushiony and softer. But either way, it's going to have that nice equal contact beneath the arch and then also just thinking about a good balanced stance with on your uh, or on your skis, a custom insole is definitely the first step to getting this balanced stance. Um, so it's going to help balance basically in all the planes of motion, um, and it will help with better, quicker edge initiation. It can even help align the knee more squarely. So I've seen someone get like a heavily pronated foot. You put an insole beneath that foot, and suddenly their knee is now square over. The ankle, which is now making them more flat on their ski. Um, so, some people still might need to go deeper into the whole stance balancing realm, which is where you're suddenly moving the cuff to match the lower leg, or you're actually canting the boot to adjust the bottom angle of the boot to make that person more flat on the skis. But none of that is going to happen without a good custom insole beneath the foot. So, it's just that foundation, and it's definitely the best starting point for a good boot fit.
0: Kara Williard mic drop. That was great, Kara. Couple things. We're going to be doing more on the topic of boot fitting on gear 30. And so consider that just a little taste and actually some really, really good information about custom insoles and footbeds. Question, Kara, you've seen Luke Kappa's feet. Do you think a custom insole can help him or is this just an obvious sign that God hates him? What would you, how do you as a boot fitter assess Luke's feet? Probably divine anger or uh, disdain. Is that what we're looking at?
1: Um, well, <laughs> I think certainly some of us are more blessed with great feet. Like Eric Friesen is a great example. Jonathan, I would put you in that category as mm. well. Mm. Luke, and five, myself. <laughs> Luke and myself, we are definitely um, cursed in a way, but we're getting there. I think Luke's in a better position than he's been um in years prior which is awesome i think i would in an ideal world have all the tools in front of me to make luke a new custom insole i know he definitely has one in the boot and i remember a few years ago looking at his foot and kind of changing um what was the varus angle on the forefoot of his original uh, insole and i think since then he's upgraded but either way um I think for people more so in Luke and I's category, it's definitely a make or break. I wouldn't like dare take my insole out of a boot for a day. And I think Luke is probably in a similar position.
0: I'm actually, Um. I'm actually also in that camp. (laughs) I I have forgotten to, as we're reviewing all these different boots on the days when I've forgotten to move a custom insole into a different boot. It, um, it's sometimes wildly excruciating for me. And then, other times, maybe not excruciating, but like sloppy. I can't ski right. So, but Eric, I mean, we should tell this story or we, or we shouldn't, but Eric will wildly to me, sometimes ski a boot without any footbed in there.
1: Yeah. And let me just preface this, that Eric is the exception and not the rule. So yeah. don't take any of You're- this too seriously, whatever he's about to say.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. So Kara just told you all to dismiss everything you're about to hear. Eric, the floor is yours. I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how and why you sometimes will or have opted to go without a footbed.
2: Sure. It's it's a couple factors at work. Um part of it is I have a couple pairs of I, I'm no anti insole person. Let's get that out there first. Um for me a lot of what it is is uh I tend to run like a probably like a half size or even in some cases a full size larger in my shell or my liner than what we're typically sent for review um, for blister. So my insoles, which I have a couple pairs that are all built exactly the same so I can swap them out, in some cases are just too large to like really work with the liners that we have to work with. um in some cases too. It's just a way for me to get rid of a, a bit of like excess volume, I guess I would say to kind of, um, deal with a, a lower profile or lower volume shell, you know, per and what we're just hearing that might all just be in my head anyways. So in, uh, in some ski boots where it's a pretty low profile shell, um, running a, uh, a liner without an insole in it allows me to feel like I get a little bit to use a mountain biking term, lower stack height, I guess, which helps me fit in some other stuff. Um, it is also, you know, it's, I wouldn't say I totally don't enjoy it. Sometimes it's a pretty cool way to kind of feel, I think even more of like what the shell is doing and like how it is or isn't flexing and reacting to the terrain. Um, but in general, me not skiing with insoles is a function first of, fit second of being cheap and not getting even more custom insoles, which aren't generally that cheap. And I guess I would say last and least see like sometimes it just makes the boot feel a little bit better for my foot. Kara, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you said that a custom
0: insole will not take up more volume in a boot, but I've definitely had certain insoles, custom insoles that just are sort of too thick, too high volume to work in my LV boots. So do you want to say something to that? Or are you like, well, that's just a case where you should start chopping off some of the bottom of that custom insole?
1: I think uh, I've definitely seen a lot of instances from boot fitters where that insole wasn't perfectly interfaced to the liner. Um, But like the last step of building that insole is typically like holding it to the stock insole and they should pretty much have the exact same profile aside from where that arch is and then if you're kind of like holding the insole at a 90 degree like tipping it onto its arch side onto a table it should be like perfectly flat and sometimes the arch is actually like not um it hasn't been ground down enough to be flat and so it's actually going to be like pushing up on your foot creating a volume issue in that shell so I think there is some nuances of like how well that product is being finished to the liner and Um, In a perfect scenario where everything was accounted for, it should just sit directly into that liner. And again, the only excess volume is where you already had voids beneath your foot and where those gaps would have already existed. Um, But there is instances in which maybe the, uh, the arch material needs to be ground down a little bit or it just needs to be finished off and like maybe one more time around the grinding wheel with that stock insole as a template.
0: Luke. Any questions for Kara before we keep things moving?
3: Uh, I don't think so. The only correction I have to make is when she said I upgraded my insole. Uh, I actually just lost the ones that she worked on. (laughs) Uh, I think I accidentally sent them back in a pair of boots we had to send back. Amazing. Um, But I I have new ones and they work great so far, but I'm definitely going to need to get a second pair for just like touring boots because swapping them out is rather annoying. Um, but yeah, I can't ski without them like my, I have a pretty flat foot, but even still without a insole that's actually supportive, it just collapses and it pushes my mid foot out even further. But with an insole, I can kind of mitigate that a bit and I can't really ski any boot without one.
1: Well, I think I've said this before and I'll say it again, but Luke, one of my goals is to make you a perfect insole someday. So I hope I can do that.
0: <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, um, one last thing I want to say and Kara we have talked about for a while now that we were going to do this cover this more in depth in an episode of Gear 30 but Kara has been producing for us these ski boot brand guides and in case you couldn't tell from you know the first 15 minutes of this conversation Kara knows what she's talking about so this is the person who is going through and assembling for us like just trying to bring clarity for every company's complete lineups of ski boot offerings. Well, Kara is there to kind of guide you through like what boots maybe you ought to start looking for in a given series and what the differences are. And we have put a lot of work in on these things. And so these guides are available to Blister Deep Dive subscribers and Blister members. But if you haven't checked these out, um, I mean, the reason why we decided to put these together is we just thought there just is not enough clarity with all of these different ski boots that are being made and offered by companies. And what Kara has been doing is something that we think is a real service. Uh, so become a deep dive. Subscriber or become a blister member and go check these out because I promise you are going to learn some things. So, Kara, good work.
1: Thank you, Jonathan.
0: All right, from custom insoles and ski boots, I think we ought to talk to Eric Friesen a bit about some of the products he's been on, and maybe we'll even talk about a pretty cool place that Eric recently was at to test some of this product. Um,
2: you want to tell us a little bit about your Canada trip, Eric? Sure. I've uh, I've been super, super fortunate in that I've been able to get up to Canada to the Golden Alpine Holidays Lodge system a couple times now. Um, in early January, I got up to Century Lodge for my third trip up there. And we had a really fantastic weather window, really solid snow, and it was a Peter Pan's club of who's who of people who are real good at skiing that was there. So I got to watch a bunch of people just tee off for seven days. Um, brought a couple different pieces of gear that we've been reviewing with me and can definitely talk about those. I brought the uh, the Wonder Reason 120 ski with me up there, as well as the uh, Solomon Shift Pro 130 boot. And both were a really good fit for the type of like terrain and skiing that we were doing um, multiple kind of like thousand vertical foot laps throughout the day. We typically do between like four and six. Um, so they did really well. The, uh, the wonder ski, I was pretty interested about that. I'm definitely a a long time forefront and especially renegade fanboy. So was kind of curious to see how, uh, Matt's new iteration of a big fat pow touring ski was going to play out. Um, some of the things that stood out to me, First, I thought it toured really well, um, it definitely for its size, it, it wasn't overly heavy. Um, part of that was influenced by the fact that I was up there with a bunch of people who were on cast systems, so I was bound to feel good about that. Um, but it also, it was on firmer snow or firmer conditions, it's its kind of stood out to me just how uh, torsionally stiff that ski is, which you know I think is impressive and, and typically is something that I'm a fan of. We have the uh, ski in the full reverse camber profile and the uh, the profile, I find it to be pretty agile without feeling like overly short or pivoty, um, which was something that was a little bit of a surprise. That's one of the things that I, I guess, enjoy most about the Renegade. So it is definitely, it's a bit different there. I wouldn't say that's good or bad. It's, it's just different, but it's a pretty, um, I would say it's a very, mellow rocker profile and that it it does have quite a bit of rocker but it's not gonna smack you over the top of the head with it weird i uh, I don't know metaphor or (laughs) i was thinking on the fly there not my strong suit (laughs) sue me i like it (laughs) you're doing great keep going um I uh, I think one of the things that did stand out most to me about the ski and my time on it was it's very, very impressive how much you can stand up on or stand over the front of the shovel without torpedoing the ski underneath the snow. Um, I think this will work really well for people that aren't looking to have the super centered like Hoji ski from the balls of your feet style stance. It worked well, both, you know, driving Driving the the shovel of the ski from the the tongue of your boot normally, as well as kind of skiing or, or steering from kind of your heel, both worked really well. But that was definitely that was that was something that stood out quite a bit, and would be I think for that reason a really good fit for people who um, you know ski lower angle or slower terrain of backcountry skiing where they don't always necessarily have the pitch or the the conditions to allow them to be going 40 miles an hour at all times. Um, and then uh, in the same kind of vein, it wasn't a ski that was as slarvy as I was expecting it to be. Um, neither the tip or tail have a ton of taper and it's got a pretty short turning radius. So it's a ski that even in like softer, deeper snow had really good hookup in the sense that it wasn't difficult to get it to change direction, but it wasn't pivoting from, uh, directly underneath the binding when it did it.
0: So Eric, let's talk just a minute about mount points here. Um, you were talking about how you were impressed that you can kind of drive the shovels of the reason 120 that it feels, I think you were saying like a, you can take a bit more of a traditional driving stance on the ski. The mount point on the Reason 120, the ski we have in 192-centimeter length, that's, I think, a minus 7 mount point. Mm -hmm. Still not, I mean, it's not minus 11. It's not like a wildly traditional setback mount point. But our our 191 Forefront Renegade, the recommended line on the 191 Renegade, Luke, that's around minus 5.5.
3: Yeah, yeah, our, yeah. Minus
0: 5.6. Oh, sorry. Forgive me. I'm going to kick myself off of gear 30. 5.6. My sincerest (laughs) apologies, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, so, okay, more forward than the reason, but not actually a radical difference. Not a radical difference between those two skis, especially given their similarity in terms of length. Okay. Their shapes
3: are pretty different though. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more shovel on the reason.
2: Yeah, I think so. I've, I've, it's, a, it's a different ski than I was expecting it to be just based on preconceived notions about who was building it, but I've really been enjoying my time on it so far. And so when
0: you were in Canada and you did kind of get to tick off a line that was fairly heavy,
1: mm-hmm. very
0: heavy, we could mm-hmm. say, yep. you skied that on the Reason 120.
2: Yeah. That particular line, um, in sort of in honor and tribute, I wound up skiing that one on the Renegade. Uh, but I spent about half of my time up there on the, uh, the reason One Hundred and Twenty. and we definitely, uh, we skied some, some pretty big, pretty heavy lines and it, it, did really well cool
3: if you uh if you want to see what eric was skiing and exactly how he skied it uh hoji just posted a season edit from last year from that lodge and it's yeah it's exactly like eric's
0: i know i was like wow (laughs) look at (laughs) freeson dropped an edit and then like two minutes in i was like oh wait no that's (laughs) hoji yeah
2: it was pretty cool other his uh the first line that he skied in that edit we didn't get to get up that high on this trip Um, but basically everything else that he skis save, uh, some of the bigger lines on the, uh, on the lodge spines wall, um, that was all stuff that we were skiing and certainly didn't make it, didn't make it look as good, but it was cool being able to watch it from a different perspective than the one we were living it in.
3: Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah.
0: Eric, we're going to come back to you. There's two boots we want to talk about with you, but, um, we, you know, we can't have Luke Kappa sitting here this long without, you know, enlightening us on, you know, I don't know, whatever shampoo he's using or not using these days or... Oh, actually, we'll probably leave it to skis, so... Um,
3: I um Podcast listeners can't see it, but I just got some new
2: shampoo. Look at that. It comes in
3: a pretty little yes, package. Yes, shampoo
1: bar. Nice, Luke. Is that a Luke?
2: ball? What, what is that?
3: that? It's, it's a shampoo bar. Um I'm on a subscription plan now. I think I'm I finally an adult. Um I I did have to change the schedule multiple times cuz I was like I'm getting this shampoo and conditioner way too often cuz I'm not using it <laughs> that much, but uh yeah, I'm fully fully stocked at this point.
0: That's amazing. Okay, shampoo ball. Uh of course, of course that's what we're talking about now. <laughs> it's easier to travel with.
1: And I'm officially taking hair advice from Luke. So thank you.
0: (laughs) Are you seriously? Finally made it. (laughs) Are you seriously?
1: I don't know. I'm considering it. Oh, did you
3: want to send
0: you the link? I don't
1: have a subscription, but now I need one. I think.
0: Amazing. Uh, just another kick-ass Gear 30 episode. (laughs) Luke, why don't you pick a ski that you've been spending time on? What do you want to go with?
3: Uh, I'm gonna pick the ski that for me personally has been my favorite ski of the season so far. And that is the new line blade optic 96. We have it in the 184 centimeter length. Um, and basically it's a ski that works really, really well for how I like to ski. It's not going to be for everyone. I'm not going to call it like best ski of the year or whatever. Um, but for me personally, it's, the ski that matches up with my skiing style the best and especially given the the high pressure system that everyone is in right now it's just been super fun it it carves really really well it's it's not even though it has blade in the name it's not a super tight radius ski it's i think it's a 18 meter radius for the 184 um, but really easy to get on edge and especially the cambered portion of the ski holds an edge surprisingly well even when the groomers are kind of scraped off but at the same time, it's got pretty deep rocker lines, it's not super stiff so it lets me get like all loose and all over the place when I'm trying to ski fast down like big Shoot or something and slashing it all over the place. Um, it's got enough weight to it where I'm not hesitant about taking it out when it hasn't snowed in forever. Um, but it's not super heavy. It's got a pretty progressive mount point around minus seven from true center. Uh, feels nice in the air, feels good skiing switch. Uh, just generally I haven't found a ski and especially in that category that just lets me ski basically exactly how I want. So on the day, like I had friends in town for the past week and not like super aggressive skiers, but skiing a bit of everything. And when I uh, (laughs) ignored my responsibilities to test as many skis as possible, that's the one I've been taking out.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you all have not been watching this, but Eric and Kara and I have. That was the happiest I've seen Luke in like a long time. He just had this... The other irony here is I just was yelling at a different one of our reviewers for writing in a review something about this ski puts a smile on my face. We don't really allow <laughs> that cuz I hate that, but Luke literally has been like beaming this whole time talking about this ski. So I'm Luke, I'm glad between your new shower ball thing and uh the Line Blade Optic 96. It's great to see you this happy.
3: Yeah, it's it's nice to like I mean we get to test skis every day. Like, it's a pretty nice life for the, <laughs> for the most part. But it also means I'm very frequently skiing something I would never personally purchase for myself. So, when I do get to get on a ski and have the excuse to put like 10 days on it uh, when I want to and I really enjoy every one of those days, it's pretty nice. And we also have the Blade Optic 104 There was a shipping mix-up. We ended up with a 178 and one of their athletes ended up with our 185. (laughs) Um, So, good luck to whoever which athlete uh, ended up with that ski but we'll be getting on the longer version soon. The 104 feels very similar. It's just that in that 178 centimeter length, it feels considerably shorter, way more playful but... Uh, when you're pushing it at speed. Um, or uh, I'm just finding I'm folding it up a little bit. So we'll be getting on the longer length soon. And we'll also be getting on the Blade Optic 114 at the Blister Summit. Uh, they will have one of the very few pairs in North America here. Um, so looking forward to that as well.
2: Just wanted to add quickly. So I got to uh, ski with Luke on Sunday and the uh, the Blade 96 that he was on. And You know, you see those couples in public places where they can't be bothered with anyone or anything that's going around with them because they're so in love. It was like Luke on Sunday was watching him with that ski. Felt like I was sharing a very private moment.
0: (laughs) Oh, my
3: God. (laughs) Yeah, that about sums up my life. (laughs)
0: Luke getting – Luke showing a bunch of PDA on the mountain with his line blade optic ninety-six. No, and Luke, I will say, uh Eric and Rob Dickinson came back and were like, holy cow, Luke's shredding. So you should keep keep making sweet love to that line blade optic ninety-six, Luke, or whatever it is that Eric's proposing you do here. <laughs> How about we shift gears um quickly? Um Kara, what have you been spending time on that you think we ought to know about?
1: Yeah, so this season I have been thrilled that I've spent several, well, most this season on a few very powerful women-specific skis. And this is cool because I'm someone who definitely prefers stability and dampness over playfulness. And in the past, this meant I was always skiing men's skis. And for this season, um, I've had the opportunity to get on several women-specific skis that are powerful and do exactly what i want them to do especially during this high pressure cycle that we've been experiencing um so the first that i'll mention and i put a review out on it a couple weeks ago is the blizzard black pearl 97 i've been skiing that in a 170 centimeter and as far as suspension goes um, on a women specific ski this is the best women specific ski i've ever been on just in regard to suspension um, this was especially true when, like, a lot of the terrain we were skiing was frighteningly firm, and I just felt like it was such a smooth ride. Um, and then comparable to that is the Vocal Secret 96. I'd say it's pretty similar in overall stability, but it's a little bit more friendly to maneuver, um, a little bit more ease and in turn initiation. So this has been confidence-inspiring for all these Days on firm snow, um, but I'm also, you know, negotiating some tighter terrain and it just feels a little bit more simple to turn in some of those tighter lines. Um, But a very versatile ski for someone who does prefer a more stable and damp option. And then most recently I've been spending some time on the Solomon Stance 88W in a 174. And it's pretty cool, I think, that Solomon has returned to a metal laminate ski. Um, I really like that this ski is stable and responsive, but it's not overly demanding. So I'd say it's definitely less demanding than both the Secret 96 and the Black Pearl 97. And it's a a bit lighter weight as well, um, a few hundred grams lighter. And that's been kind of nice because um, in these firm conditions, and I'm trying to get better at hop turns, I was definitely feeling like the heaviness of the black pearl and the secret and the stance has just been a little bit easier to hop around on and, um, flick around on these firm days where I still want a stable ski.
0: Hmm. That's what you were skiing Sunday when we were skiing together, right? Yeah. Yep. She was ripping the coolest thing from that day. And I did not tell you this. I was thinking about your skiing last season. When you were still very much coming back from a knee injury, and I think how much of that, how much you were already physically back all the way versus mentally back all the way. But I thought to myself, that's why I didn't say anything. I didn't want to jinx you on Sunday. But I was like, man, she's skiing different and harder. And uh, I, I, I think I can say that now without jinxing anyone. But so it feels like, seems like you're feeling pretty good, headspace and physically.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, the mental game was a long one. It definitely outlasted the physical component, but I'm definitely feeling a bit more confident this season. So that's been really nice.
0: All right, Eric. Um, I'm just going to pick for you because I really want to hear you talk about the the Lang RX 130. Um, okay. we, you and I haven't really talked about this boot yet. So how's it been going for you?
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gotten, I think four or five days in the Lang RX 130 now. Um, thus far it's been a very easy boot to get along with. I think the thing that has really helped facilitate that thus far is for being a 97 millimeter lasted low volume boot, it's, uh, been very easy for me to get my foot into it. Um I haven't needed to mess around with the shell at all and I've just baked the liners once and I am running insoles. Um so happy days. I would say to me it feels like a pretty true 130 flex like this is not a boot that I can just flex into on a cat track very well. Um and on top of that it feels quite stiff off the top for me. Um, but once you're actually able to start driving the shovel of a ski, it's got a really satisfying kind of like flex curvature to it. Um, I'm definitely not bouncing off the bottom of the the boot very often if ever. And, uh, you have a lot of room to get forward into the, the tongue of the boot as well as back off the tongue of the boot without feeling like you're getting rebounded crazy. This boot, uh, between the weight of the boot, the GripWalk sole, and it's got a foam boot board, I would say it does a very good job of being quiet or muted when it comes to transferring feedback from the terrain that I'm skiing over. It's definitely, uh, you know, damp is a word that you could use. I think I'd rather use the word quiet. I don't think of it as like an especially damp boot, but it is a very quiet one. Um and then uh I've also I've really been enjoying the grip walk sole. Um that's not something that I encounter a lot on stiffer, you know, like 130 Flex kind of uh boots like this. Um but it's nice walking around in. I think it also maybe plays a bit of a factor in like the the lack of well, I shouldn't say lack of feel, but the the quiet feel of uh terrain noise coming up through the shell. Um, but I am also always, I'm a little skeptical of grip soles in high DIN, high like performance binding applications where you're running, you know, a DIN of like 12 or 14, um, that's unfounded and unproven, but I just, I kind of, I miss having the, the flatter plastic, um, for my AFD release on, uh, on a boot like this. So
0: So one of the reasons, Eric, I was so interested in having you try that boot. Is because you can and do sometimes ski in a 26.5 boot. Mm -hmm. And you would say that normally your normal boot size is a 27.5, but we you have skied sometimes without an insole in a 26.5. When I got in this most recent iteration of the Lang RX 130, as I think maybe some people know I'm pretty much always in an LV low volume boot. I kind of felt like I was swimming in that Lang RX 130 LV. That's why I was like, I think it's an interesting and good boot. I just think it's this LV isn't that LV. And so that's when I was like, I want to get Freeson in this and see what he thinks of it. And the irony here is Eric went and skied it. And was like, yeah, this is quite comfortable. You know, it's definitely feels like a hundred millimeter lasted boot. You know, this MV boot is quite good. And I'm like, dude, that's not an MV boot. So he thought that he'd been skiing an MV that is Lang's LV. And so kind of makes sense why it didn't work so well for me. But I also think for... People out there that want—I mean, you've just heard Eric's description of how the boot performs. If you like the sound of that, even if you have a wider foot and don't always get along with certain low-volume boots, this boot might be worth you checking out. That was not very articulate, but I trust it. Maybe makes sense what I'm saying there. We're tracking. We're tracking. Um, yeah, I want to try that boot. Yeah, Luke. Honestly, I—I'm curious if that boot would work for you. But anyway, I think maybe my point is for that Lang RX, people should not be turned off immediately by the stated LV or low volume stamp. Go try it on before you are sure you should just be in the MV. Kara, do you have thoughts on this?
1: I mean, I did put the Lang boot brand guide together and they offer all the options in lv and mv for their rx series Um, so i think there's pretty much a full range of volumes available for anyone who is interested in this boot um, aside from maybe the very high volume foot Um, but in general i would say the rx lv has gravitated to a little bit more roomier friendly fit than previously Um, and that's i don't know when they implemented dual core and kind of rebuilt the mold um i think that's kind of when we started to see that trend so if you're on the exceptionally low volume side of boots you may no longer feel so good in the rx 130 lv or whichever flex has worked previously
0: yeah and it's honestly made me really interested in getting in a lang rs the blue boot and I mean, I've been skiing the Redster the Atomic Redster CS. I've been uh, got a ton of years in the Head Raptor, and um, I've kind of I haven't been in the Lang RS. But now, when I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I really can work with the RX anymore. I think it's time to maybe check out that that blue boot. So anyway, now you know. Consider that a public service announcement from Blister, everybody. All right, Luke. I think you should talk. Well, actually, Luke, I think you should talk about whatever you want to talk about. I don't know if anything's gonna make you as happy as you were <laughs> in that last segment, but let's just see what you got.
3: Um so we got a we're we've been skiing several moment skis this season. Um we've got some reviews in the queue coming up. Um but one of the brand new models is the Deathwish 104, uh which we have in a 184 centimeter length. Essentially, it's I mean an error death wish. Uh, the standard Deathwish, 112 millimeters underfoot, triple camber. It's been a staple in their line forever. Um, the 104 version, obviously narrower, also gets a slightly more setback mount point. It's about minus six from True Center. Um, but basically, it's it's kind of what I figured and hoped it would be. It feels like a narrower Deathwish. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, that's going to make a whole lot more sense than the standard Deathwish. While I know many people who skied the regular 112 underfoot Death wish as their daily driver, I think the 104 makes a lot more sense. It's easier to get on edge, doesn't feel as cumbersome in like tight bumps and trees, but it gets you pretty much what most people like about the regular Deathwish, that triple camber. It, it works. It does what it's supposed to. It creates a very noticeable amount of edge grip um much more so than you would expect from a ski with that much tip and tail rocker um but at the same time it's like pretty easy to throw sideways not not quite as easy as uh like moments wildcat 108 which has a more standard rocker camber rocker profile um but overall it was just a easy ski to get along with like i got along great with the Death Wish. And so, I kind of expected that. It lets you drive it through the shovels. It lets you ski it centered. It's balanced in the air. Ski switch well. Quite poppy when you put in some force into it. Um, but I remember like skiing uh, like a headwall lap when it was probably like a week or two after the after our big storm in early January. But uh, headwall had gotten wind loaded. This is when it was still all hike two. So, it was like anywhere from like two to eight inches of like windblown like cream cheese almost and it was just i mean it was awesome like most skis would be fun in that but i was mostly impressed by how easy death Wish was uh to feather and release from a turn but also like when i had room to run just lay down some like big gs turns in nice snow given how well it holds an edge on very very firm conditions um so my like very brief review of that ski is like it does everything the Death Wish does apart from like flotation and super deep snow, but it does it in a way that's more practical for a lot of everyday skiing. Like I wouldn't be prone to take out the 112 underfoot Death Wish out this week when it hasn't snowed in a while, whereas the Death Wish 104 just makes a bit more sense. Quicker edge to edge, easier to get on edge at slightly slower speeds and a bit more damp um, for... Uh, for its size versus the Death Wish. So yeah, for people who like the sound of the original Death Wish, but thought it was a bit too wide to be sensible for most days, that 104 is is very appealing.
0: Speaking of triple camber skis, you've actually been spending time on another one. So why don't we just go ahead and have you talk a bit about, well, another triple camber ski? Yeah. So, this one,
3: I don't think they technically call it triple camber but it is very similar in concept and execution. Uh, Shaggy's out of Michigan, They're, uh, well, several of their skis use uh, feature what they call camber pockets in front of and behind the bindings. Very similar in concept to triple camber from Moment. Um, and I've been skiing the Amik 95 a whole bunch. Um, And just talking about the Deathwish 104, like these skis share a lot in common. The Amik 95 just being narrower feels like a more nimble, uh, agile ski. Um, But they do share a lot in common, especially that feel of when you do drive the front of it, you can just feel that camber pocket in front of your toe digging in, which is really nice when you're skiing end-of-day groomers and you hit like a rollover that's been fully scraped off by everyone. Um, like the Deathwish 104, the Amik has pretty deep rocker lines for what it is. Um, it's another pretty playful ski that also works fine if you're just skiing with a directional style. Um, and I think the cool thing with the well, with all of Shaggy skis is they've been branching out their custom program. So I've been skiing both the stock Amik 95 and also a heavier version um, with a heavier wood core and their nano mag construction which consists of some strips of magnesium that are supposed to help uh with suspension and damping um and they feel very similar overall but it's nice to know that like if you do want if you like the sound of that ski uh but you want it to be a bit more planted a bit more stable at speed um they have that option uh but overall it's like pretty versatile ski for people who appreciate something that holds an edge well, but also spend a lot of time off piste. It feels a lot quicker than I expected. Not the most forgiving ski, um, especially the heavier version. But overall, it reminds me a lot of the Ami 105, which we reviewed a couple years back and that reviews on the site. Um, so, looking forward to wrapping up my time on that, getting some photos and hopefully getting that review out uh, in the next few weeks.
0: Luke, I'm going to confess I kind of stopped listening because I started imagining Um, I think Shaggy's needs to make you a shower ball or a shampoo ball made with nano mag. And so that's my, um, that sounds painful. That's, that's just, just like little, you know, nano, nano mag particles that probably will really bring out, bring out the (laughs) sheen in your, your hair.
3: Yeah. I have enough small metal particles in my hands and arms for mounting skis uh, I don't I don't think I really need more in my in my skin.
0: <laughs> anyway, Shaggies, if you're listening, just send the nanomag shampoo ball to Sexy Luke in Crested Butte, Colorado. I'm sure it'll get it get somebody'll <laughs> somebody'll get it to Luke. Um <laughs> all right. I need to let you good people get going. And so I think what we're gonna do here is well, we're gonna wrap up soon. I do wanna ask Eric about one more boot that he's been spending time in. Um, but come to the Blister Summit. You're gonna be able to hang out with Eric and Luke and Kara. You can ask them more questions. You can ski with them. And if you couldn't tell, they're kind of fun people. So do that. And um, I mean, we're gonna be talking more about gear uh with all of you at the summit, of course. And uh anyway, so so I feel bad sort of shutting us down. But um I need to shut us down. There's a couple things I still need to do tonight. Uh, so anyway, Eric, why don't we leave things off with you? But I wanted to talk about this Solomon Shift Pro 130 boot.
2: Yeah. So that was another piece of gear I took up to Canada. Um, and this was a boot that knowing that I was going to be spending some time in this, I was really, really excited about. Um, I typically get along really well with Solomon boots. Um so far it's been a highly versatile boot and i think that's the best way that i can describe it um it's impressive in that way it's not what i was expecting it to be but i think it's going to do a very good job for a lot of people um it seems like it's going to be a best fit boot for someone who would classify themselves as a side country skier Uh, so if you're uh, skiing on setups that involve uh, cast touring or a shift or a Duke binding, this is going to be a boot that's going to slot in pretty well with the performance of like a ski and binding system that's going to use those. I don't think Solomon even calls it low volume, um, but I wouldn't call it a a low volume fit. It's not a low volume last. Um, And that's definitely been one of the pieces that I've struggled with, with a little bit in this boot, um, especially coming from like the fit of something like a mountain lab, um, which I have spent a bunch of time with. But its performance is great. Um, I've skied a bunch at the resort. It's got a decently stiff spine for being a boot with a walk mode. Um, and it also has good suspension feel, again, for a boot with a, a softer spine and a walk mode. Um, and I would say it's, it's listed as a 130 flex i would say to me objectively it feels closer to like somewhere in the 120s um it's not as stiff as example as an example as that lang rx 130 that i've been spending time in but it's also not a boot that i'm folding over even skiing big skis at the resort in it um touring it's you know it's it's been good, not great. It's got an okay range of motion, um, and a less aggressive or rubberized sole than like a more touring specific option. Uh, so, you know, this isn't a boot that if I knew I was going to be having a really long day in the backcountry that I would be reaching for immediately, but for a trip like century where they were quicker, shorter laps, or if I, you know, skied a, at a resort like Jackson hole or kicking horse where I was, uh, kicking steps a lot or skiing side country and touring back to the resort, this would definitely be a boot that if I was looking for, uh, you know, one boot for my season, you know, it would be something that I would want to stick my foot in for sure. Yep. I think I really wanted this to be like a stiffer S ma- or a, I really wanted this to be a stiffer mountain lab. Um, and it's not that, and it's not, that's not the boot's fault and it's not doing anything wrong um it's just it wasn't what i kind of was hoping that it was going to be when it showed up it's a it's a higher volume easier to get along with boot that i think is going to be a really good fit for a lot of people um but isn't the uh narrow lasted uh low volume kind of high performance touring boot that i was sort of hoping that it might be
0: all right then um cara we are we are biting our tongues now Because what we really want to do is launch into a whole aftermarket liner conversation. And I just know we can't do this and shouldn't do this in like five or 10 minutes. Um, I think this is something we're going to bring up more at our blister summit because we have all now been spending time, you know, various blister reviewers in the Atomic Mimic liner, the Atomic Mimic Professional Foam liner. Um, zip fits and, you know, again, Sebastian and I, in our last year 30 conversation uh, touched on aftermarket liners and, um, I, uh, yeah, we're going to bite our tongues. We're exercising incredible, incredible, uh, discipline here, but, um, I think this will be something we do at the summit and, um, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a topic.
1: No, I would just say it definitely is a very important topic. It follows up nicely with the custom insole conversation we just had, which there's a lot more too. So if any of you guys have further questions about that at the summit, I'm more than happy to talk boots anytime. Um, but I want to do the aftermarket liner topic justice. And so this is not the time or place. We'll definitely touch back on that very soon.
2: Cool. Okay. Hey. Um, hey. Hey come talk to me about skiing naked pillow laps at the summit. Cause I don't know anything about boots. So
3: yeah. Or, or ask him about how different types of rocks smell when you hit them with your skis.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Friesen. Um, anyway, um, Hey, it's always fun getting the band together to have these kind of conversations. And so, uh, appreciate it. And, uh, it's uh but it is so fun to talk about this stuff with you all and it does really make me excited to kind of be able to invite everybody else to come in and get to do the same with you guys so thank you for being wonderful you all are great and uh thanks thanks for being thanks for being great all of you talk to you real soon see you all i'm guessing in the next 24 to 48 hours probably on the mountain So looking forward to that, too. Cool.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right. It is now time for our What We're Celebrating segment. It is approaching 10.30 p.m. on Thursday night, February 10th. And our strikingly handsome podcast producer, Justin Bob, really needs this because he needs to wrap up this episode. And so we're going to keep this quick. I have in my hand a little glass of whistle pig farm stock rye with two cubes. And honestly tonight, I wanna give a shout out to one of the best food groups in the world, which I have been indulging heavily in this past week. And that is Hatch Green Chili. I don't know what happened. I decided I just missed this and I have just been dumping this on everything. So shout out to Hatch Green Chili. Probably the best green chili in the world. One more thing. Cy Whitling, who a number of you know, Cy was a managing editor at Blister some years ago. He's still a very good friend of ours. Well, Cy's just been crashing at my house this week and we actually recorded a really, really excellent podcast conversation that's going to go up this Monday on our Blister podcast that basically talks about Cy's experience with Search and Rescue, and how he got into Search and Rescue in the first place. And honestly, I think this is a conversation that many, many of us who are interested in the outdoors, that we all need to hear. And I think you might be surprised that I think the takeaway might be that you yourself may find that you want to get involved with your local search and rescue outfit. So that's coming up on Monday. It has been fantastic catching up with Sai this week. And so Sai, here's to you. All right. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. Thanks to Luke and Kara and Eric for another great conversation. And thanks to all of you for listening If you are enjoying what we're doing here in Gear 30, please go ahead and rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. That gets us closer to our next Crash Course video. I presume most of you have seen us make fools of ourselves in the Telemark video by now. Snowblade video is coming up next. And then if you guys get us to 750 ratings, what is it? Then I think we go snowboard. So anyway, if you like the show, leave us that rating or review in Apple Podcasts, and we will talk to you on Monday over on our Blister podcast. Oh, and then we're going to see you at the Blister Summit, kicking off February 20th, right? So make your arrangements. Come hang out with us in
2: Mount Crested Butte. All right. Bye, everybody.